0: Welcome to another episode of the Father Ted Talk, broadcast here at the National Shrine of St. Elizabeth Ann Seton in Emmitsburg, Maryland. We are kicking off our living history at the Seton Shrine this summer with St. Joseph's Valley Days, which takes place April 30th to May 2nd here at the Seton Shrine in Emmitsburg, Maryland. We'll have hands-on activities for the whole family, ranging from a petting zoo to basket weaving and kite making and way more. And you'll also get to talk to our living history interpreters. Visit seatandshrine.org slash valley days to learn more and to reserve your tickets today. Now here's Father Ted. No matter when you turn on the news, there's always going to be some sorts of reports of violence, turmoil, and our day and age is no exception. We all know about the seemingly pointless slaughter in the FedEx office in Indianapolis. We might have heard about the rising tension on the border between Russian, Russia and Ukraine. There's also the threat of a schism which is currently unfolding in the country of Germany. There's rioting in, country, in cities still around America. And then there's just the anxieties of everyday things. Anxiety about finances, anxiety about my job, anxiety about the country, anxiety about coronavirus, and so many more things. And so with this context, there should be one phrase in today's gospel that kind of stands out that we should have picked up on. There's a phrase which our Lord used with the apostles in today's gospel, as well as in many other encounters The angels always used it at the tomb whenever they were talking to the holy women who came to anoint the body. Peace be with you. It's a phrase which is almost one of our Lord's favorite in the post-resurrection phase because the risen Lord is the source of peace. That's why he's always wishing peace and bestowing peace, not just saying, I hope you feel peaceful, but... Presence and his resurrection are truly the source of peace. He alone can bring an end to the conflict that exists within ourselves and between ourselves. It's a theme that we find all throughout Scripture. All the way back in the prophet Isaiah, we hear that the Messiah will be the Prince of Peace. And the prophet Micah says more directly, a little bit less clearly, he says, He will be peace. And so, too, when he was born, the angels declared peace on earth. And St. Paul, after the ascension, in all of his letters, would, wish, would begin them by wishing peace upon the recipients of these letters. But what is it about the Messiah? What is it about the Christ? What is it about the risen Lord that makes him the source of peace? And the answer is found in an implicit way in today's readings. Or if you go back to the first reading from today, we're hearing St. Peter preaching to the crowd shortly after Pentecost in Jerusalem. And what's St. Peter talking about in that homily? put in a very simple way, St. Peter was telling the crowds, you are all very serious sinners. So repent so that your sins can be forgiven. That's the basic gist of the first pope's message. So he highlights the gravity of their sins, saying this is a big deal, there's a problem here but offers them that hope of reconciliation and forgiveness. It's the same message which our Lord told the apostles to preach at the end of today's gospel. He said, you are witnesses of these things, and you will preach forgiveness to all the nations, beginning in Jerusalem. And indeed, if you look at the Acts of the Apostles, this is the theme of their preaching over and over and over again. We are sinners. We are broken. We need forgiveness and Christ is the one who gives it. And the same idea of sinfulness and forgiveness, it comes up in John's letter, which we heard in the second reading. John, in that letter, he's telling the recipients that, okay, I'm writing this letter to you so that you might not sin. But if you do sin, do not be afraid. We have an advocate, Jesus Christ, somebody who will intercede on our behalf, stand at our side, when the time of trial comes. And what is it that makes Jesus Christ our friend, our advocate, the solution to our sinfulness? John says he, had, he is our expiation. And that's not a word you hear very often. In fact, this is the only instance in the entire New Testament where this word expiation is used. Elasmos in Greek. But in the Old Testament, it comes up a bunch. And so when you look at the Old Testament, when you're talking about expiations in the Old Testament, it's kind of synonymous for atonement. So you talked about the sacrifices of atonement. And so when John says that Jesus is our expiation, he's saying Jesus is the sacrifice of our atonement. And so he's trying to elevate our view of the cross. The cross was not just the execution. The cross was a sacrifice. What kind of sacrifice? Not just a sacrifice of thanksgiving, but a sacrifice of atonement. And a sacrifice of atonement is one that is made to make up for sins, to undo damage from sins, to reconcile parties which are at enmity with each other, to bring together what was separated. That's what the point of a sacrifice of atonement was in the Old Testament, and in the New Testament, there is one sacrifice, that of Jesus Christ, that reconciles sinners to God. It is the bringing together of these parties that were that we're at enmity with each other. And once Christ has done that, once Christ has worked, has accomplished the reconciliation of mankind with God, then He can bring peace. Because by His cross, the blood He shed on the cross, He has torn down that barrier that separated us from the Almighty, separated us from God kept us out of heaven. Because peace is not just the absence of war, it's also the establishment of a right relationship. It's putting everything in their place, making things be as they should be. And by his cross, he has taken us and made us sons and daughters of God as we were meant to be. And so now we are in the right relationship with the Father. Now things are as they should be with the Father. We ceased to be in a state of rebellion against God because of His cross and resurrection. And now we are His friends. Now we are members of His household. And that's why Paul said in his letter to the Colossians that Christ became our peace through His blood shed on the cross. Or again, His death and resurrection established peace between us and the Father. And that's why he could only bring it after the resurrection. That's why the words, peace be with you, only come up after the resurrection. Because only then had he accomplished that great work of redemption. And he also made his apostles messengers, heralds of that reconciliatory message because He gave His Apostles the capacity, the power to forgive sins, to remove the things that create animosity between us and God. Because that, at the end of the day, is the true source of turmoil, of anxiety, of stress, of interior interior turmoil. Sin. Have you ever seen an anxious saint before? Has a saint ever had a nervous breakdown before? Do saints usually get stressed out? No, because they are living in union with God. And that is the key to peace on earth. Because we first, if we want to have peace on earth, so we said at the very beginning, okay, we have violence in our cities, riots in our cities, possible wars in other countries, we have schism and division in the church. If we want peace to be on a global scale, first has to be peace within our hearts. And there cannot be peace within our hearts if we are somehow oriented against God, if there is sin in our hearts. And so forgiveness is the essential condition of peace. In fact, St. Thomas Aquinas says, where there is no grace, there can be no peace. The two must go together. Without grace, you will never have authentic peace. And just think about it. What is holiness? What does it mean to be holy? What does it mean to be a saint? A person who is holy is somebody who is full of charity. That is to say, they love God a lot, and they love their neighbor a lot. And St. Thomas Aquinas says that peace is the effect of charity. Peace is the effect of love. The more charity you have, the more love you have, the more peace there will be in your heart. And so as we go about growing in holiness, we will likewise go about growing in peace. Now, before anybody despairs and says, well, I'm not very holy, and I don't think I'm going to be Mother Teresa of Calcutta tomorrow, and so am I just sort of doomed to be anxious until I become a saint? And there is some truth to it, where your holiness and your peace level will sort of be growing together at the same rate, they'll be proportionate, if you will. But Jacques Philippe also points out that one of the conditions for peace is devotion, or as he puts it, goodwill. Now, what is devotion supposed to mean? Devotion means the desire, not the desire, the decision to promptly carry out the will of God in all things. And so he's saying, once you've made that decision, once you are decided, determined, that you are always going to say yes to God, peace can begin to grow in your soul. Following any of the commandments is going to help us to obtain this holiness. It's going to help us to be in a right relationship with God. Following any of the commandments is going to help us to find more peace. But the one that I always associated more frequently with peace was the third commandment, which we know is keep holy the Lord's day. It's this commandment which very often is misunderstood because we hear keep holy the Lord's day, and that means Sunday, and we often associate it with a singular precept. Oh, that means go to church on Sundays. Oh, but look at this. The, there's a dispensation. There's no obligation to go to church on the Sunday. So it seems to some people that the third commandment is kind of like temporarily abolished insofar as coronavirus is still going on. But this is not the full understanding of the third commandment. Because the third commandment is not just go to church on the Sunday or else. The third commandment doesn't say keep holy the Lord's day by doing this one little thing. It says, keep holy the Lord's day. He doesn't say make a little visit to the church, to, the, to God's house on that day. It is a day dedicated to the Lord. So we are called to sanctify it. When the faith was practiced more, more uh, widely in our society, you could really tell the difference, according to those who lived in that time, between a Sunday and any other day of the week, because... Lots of businesses would close. Families would get together. The whole pace of life would be altered on Sundays. And hopefully it still is, at least in our lives. I first experienced this when I entered the seminary, because in the seminary, you know, we have our regular schedule, Monday through Friday. Saturday is a little bit different. But on Sunday, you woke up later. You had better food. You worked less. You did stuff together as a community. Like, Sunday was a day to look forward to. Sunday was the highlight of the week. Sunday was a glorious day. And it should be for everybody, not just in the seminary. Because if we say that God is a really important part of our lives, if we say, I love him above all things, if we say, nothing is so important to me as God, Sunday is the day to prove it. Sunday is the day to live that out. Sunday is the day to actually, if you will, put your money where your mouth is, to demonstrate by actions that you are, in fact, making God the priority not simply by giving him an hour, because God deserves more than that, but by giving him the day, the Lord's day. The Catechism says it should be a day of leisure to cultivate family, cultural, social, and religious lives. And so what, what did that mean to like, maybe to wrap up in, in a concrete way, like how is it that you could sanctify the Lord's day to find some of that peace that comes to those who follow his commandments? First of all, rest from all work that could hinder joy, that could hinder the worship of God, that could hinder relaxation, or even the works of mercy. We should also be doing spiritual practices to the best of our abilities. Maybe this is the day of the week we pick up our Bible. We say our rosary. We do some other kind of personal devotion. We sanctify the Lord's Day with devotional practices. We visit those who are lonely Or maybe we just have a better meal. Like, we make Sunday meal, like the Sunday dinner, like the meal of the week. Like, we pull out all the stops, if you will. We make it a day which is markedly different from every other day of the week. And maybe also avoiding activities outside the family, because it's good to have friends. It's good to have people outside your family circle. But maybe this is the day for the family. This is a day to be with that intimate circle. And bringing in those other, maybe, closer people into your family circle, that's fine. And let's call upon Mary on this day, on this Sunday, the Lord's Day, she who is the perfect disciple of Jesus Christ, she who embodied all of the virtues, she who honored the commandments as well. You never see a depiction of Mary looking stressed. She's never anxious. She is somebody who found the peace of the risen Christ by loving him by being close to him and by following his commandments. So let us pray that she might help us to find that peace which the risen Lord wants to bring us as well.